everybody. I'm Leon Thomas here with Miranda Kitterlin Lynch. Welcome to another episode of Checking In, a lodging DEI chat. Hey, Miranda, what's happening? Good. How are you? I'm good. I Well, I apologize to you and our listeners. I've got a little bit of vocal fry going on. It's that time of year. It is that time, and I hope it doesn't linger with you too long. Leon, you know that I have two small children. As soon as this goes, something else is going to come. But it's okay. I'm happy to be here, and I'm super excited about our guest. It just keeps going around. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Now, before we bring on our guest, we have to do the number thing again. This is season two. We know that for sure. Episode... I'm going to say seven. Episode seven. All right, I'll go with seven, although the producers are telling me in my ear, no way, this can't be seven. What do they know? They're producers. <laughs> what do they know? So let's move on. But it is episode two. I think you are correct. I think you are correct. Episode I mean, seven. I kind of cheated and looked it up. Oh, no. <laughs> what? Oh. Okay, well, that's okay. It's, it's, it's not cheating if the info is available. Thank you. Yes. As I tell my students, use all the tools available to you. Use the tools right on. Yeah. Looking forward to our guest. Go ahead and introduce our guest and we'll we'll jump in and get rocking. Absolutely. So our guest is a very, very respected um, professor and expert in her subject matter. Her name is Dr. Burkita Bradford, and she is also a native of my home state, Louisiana. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning, and thanks for having me. A native of Louisiana. Oh, absolutely. Born and raised. (laughs) Oh, my. Okay, okay. Now, that'll be interesting as we get to a question near the end of the show. I mean, kind of connected, but we'll we'll figure it out. You'll see. (laughs) Yes, as I tell my students, I'm from the booth. (laughs) From (laughs) <laughs> okay. Right and that's on. D-A boot. The boot. The boot. <laughs> right. I'm currently in Cajun country, so it's that yeah. boot. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll be there in about two weeks to visit all of my family. My dad specifically, of course, but uh, my niece and the rest yeah. of them. But I, I'll be there in a few weeks for Thanksgiving holiday. And I've already told Dr. Bradford that she can come swing by and pick up my kids anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we agreed to a December play date. I'll grab my niece out of Baton Rouge and hang out. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right. So, Dr. Bradford, for our listeners that are not familiar with you and your work, um, would you like to provide a short introduction of you and what you do? Sure. So... Currently, I am the department chair for the Department of Hospitality Management at Virginia State University. Um, In the not too, too far future, we will become the Fred and Ruby Thompson Hospitality Department in that we just received a significant donation with uh, naming rights. But As I said, I'm originally from Louisiana, and I started out the hospitality journey years ago when I was a student at uh, at Grambling, Grambling State University in Louisiana, and it was called Hotel Restaurant Management then. We have even evolved. 
And so I pivoted to academics. It's been literally almost 20 years. I know I'm dating myself, but it's been almost 20 years. And um, I've been a faculty member and I've been in a leadership position here since 2015. And uh, prior to faculty, I worked in higher ed as like a recruiter. So I've been in higher ed for a very long time. But in terms of what I do, that's very interesting. On some days I do everything, <laughs> but primarily I teach, I mentor, and um, I do do some um, research. I am not exactly what one would call a research guru, but I am doing some research in the area of DEI. And uh, even going back to my dissertation where I wanted to understand why African-Americans chose hospitality as a career path. Because what I saw early on was a void in upper level management in hospitality. And that was concerning to me. And so fast forward to current research, I'm doing some research with uh, Dr. Carl Boger at University of Houston. And we are looking at the lack of, actually, um, we will say, underrepresented populations, I think that's um, what we refer to it in our research, uh, faculty of color. And the concern is because there is, I'll say a deficit or low numbers, it kind of trickles down to the classroom, which of course shows up in the industry. And so I would like to be an agent of change, whatever that looks like, mentoring more students to major in hospitality, who eventually become faculty as I enter into a season of life where I say I'm too young to uh, retire and too old to quit. Even if it means identifying colleagues and faculty members that look like me to pursue academic careers, teaching hospitality. And uh, so that's kind of what I do. I also have a passion for study abroad because I believe introducing students of color to travel period is an awesome experience and a learning tool. And especially when you see a student get a passport for the first time or fly for a first time or travel abroad first time. So that's kind of who I am. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, Leon and I actually wrote a couple of articles. We're due for our third round Leon, okay. on uh, the lack of representation of um, in um, general manager positions representation specifically of people of color. Absolutely. And, and you know, I didn't know it until I went to work in the industry. And I'm not sure. I think it's because when you travel and you engage at the entry level or at the, you know, I'll say hourly level, you engage with a lot of people of color. Mm -hmm. And I think we sometimes made the assumption that it was the case all the way throughout the organization. And, um, you know, I had an awakening, even even in my PhD program, you know, I was kind of representing folks, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, before we go any further, I also want to mention that you and I are also members of an alliance ahead, H-E-D, and that's the Alliance for Hospitality, Equity and Diversity. Um, do you want to share anything about that or? Sure, sure. So as you mentioned, we work together with AHEAD and which 
is the brainchild and being spearheaded by our friend and colleague, uh, Brian Barker. And so when, when he first approached me, I was like, mm, this is very interesting. I'm not sure, you know, where I fit in because I work at an HBCU and this is kind of what I do every day, almost in my sleep. But what I realized was it's an opportunity. I can't believe I'm going to reference politicians, but it's, a, it's an opportunity and to reach across the aisle, if you will, to colleagues at other universities and in industry that may not have access. And as you know, I'm very passionate about the term underrepresented, untapped talent. I'm very passionate about it. I, I do not embrace the uh, word minority in, in my life because as I say, there's nothing minor about me or my kids, but I call my students kids. But so I think what I realized was this was a great opportunity for me because I do like to be an agent of change. And I feel very strongly that if you do not, you know, work out of your comfort zone, there's no change. And this is something that I would say was instilled in me, just kind of a fun fact. My dad's youngest sister actually integrated Louisiana Tech. And so my dad used to say, um, I'm going to speak in my dad's voice. And remember, he's 80, that civil rights would have never worked if you hadn't had some good white folks. That's the end of the quote. That's my dad's quote. You know, we live in a world now where people get all crazy. But that's what my dad used to say. So I, I look at it, you know, as if I am really going to work and be part of a change and have opportunities for my students, then I have to work with organizations beyond my circle. And so AHEAD is an opportunity to do that, because if you look at, you know, the makeup and who's in AHEAD and how they're passionate about this and the commitment, and you know, people are committed when they give their time and their money. And so in AHEAD, we do both. And so I think that it is a wonderful um, opportunity to address what we see from not only from people who are passionate about it, but equipped to do the change because, you know, you come with knowledge, you come with industry contacts and we can get in these rooms and, you know, doors will open for students in terms of my students can leave and go to your school to pursue a graduate degree because the reality is if I want someone to become a faculty member, there are some boxes that must be checked. And so by planting these seeds and saying, well, you know, I can call this person because I know this person and to have, you know, people like you through ahead come and be guest speakers and things like that. So I'm really excited about the work that I know we will do and um, the vision of ahead. I'm extremely excited about that and I'm honored and happy to be part of it because um, I definitely want to see positive change. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. A few weeks ago, um, a friend of mine who is a vice president of operations for a management company and the VP of ops, um, I'm sorry, the director of human resources, they both contacted me and they said, we want you to help us locate black managers and black directors of sales. But you can't tell anyone that our company is actively searching for black people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you could send some people our way, we'll pay you a little bit to do it. <laughs> we'll give you a cut, but the deal is this. Shh, don't tell anyone we're recruiting blacks. 
so so no 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 shock on my end. Um, no which which is which is one of the reasons that I'm adamant about the term untapped talent, because when you use the term minority, when you use the term diversity, people get goofy. I'll say it like that, and they get goofy on both sides, and they get goofy in that, you know, I have a very very good friend, and we we kind of banter all the time because she always says. I just want the best person for the job. And so finally I said to her, I said, okay, let me ask you a question. Why is that only said when you're discussing people of color? Why is the assumption that they're not the best person for the job? I said, and, and this is me being me. I said, just because I don't pay for a tan doesn't mean that I'm not qualified. And so I am not surprised. And then on the other side, which is why once again, I like to use the term untapped talent. I don't want my students to be labeled and show up and it's like, well, you were a recruit because, you know, and so it doesn't surprise me that it has to be done almost in secret, because if we just look at the current political climate and the per current social climate, you know, it's almost like the minute you mention diversity or the minute you mention anything like that, you know, it becomes almost like war. And I think it's very weird. And, and I remember when I first started teaching, I first started teaching in 2005 as a full-time faculty. I did teach some while I was in graduate school. And I remember, you know, my students saying that they didn't feel they'd ever, you know, been discriminated against and things like that. And which is fine. I'm not here to decide what people feel or they've experienced. But what I think is very interesting is I think we're in a climate where if we suppress the conversation or if we act as if certain things aren't happening, then we can secretly, you know, not include people, which is why it's very important to have D, E, and the I. And uh, so I'm not surprised, unfortunately. And I would say, take your hush money, identify the folks <laughs> and make that change. Take your hush money. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I- <laughs> And I if you need that. some help, I can help you because I, like I said, I've been teaching since 2005. I know, you know, a lot of my former students who who are out in the industry and working, and uh, I don't care what you do in the hospitality industry. I think there's a certain grind element to it, and they're grinding and pushing and trying to uh, promote. So yeah, I yeah. can help you. And I don't even need hush money. Right on. Right <laughs> if you on. need no. help taking yeah. the hush money, I'll take it. <laughs> yes, yes. That's oh. expensive. <laughs> Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. It's when they give it to you in your hand and fold it up. <laughs> and now, you know, here's the other interesting part to that. I also presented two white managers to them. And when they looked up their LinkedIn profiles, which everybody's doing, right? They emailed me back and said, well, these two are white. Like, yeah, but they're almost as good as the black candidates. Mm -hmm. Right. And they said, well, we wanted you to give us black managers. And I said, but these two are almost as qualified as. Mm -hmm. So why don't you take a look at them? So it was an interesting conversation that that back and forth um, that I can only imagine would have been different had it been the other way that I'm recruiting managers. And someone said, well, here's two black managers. You know, I wonder how that that would have would have gone on. But Anyway, I wanted to share that interesting piece to get your your feedback yeah, on it. Yeah. No, well. no, no, no surprises yeah. here at all. No, no shock here. <laughs> yeah, Miranda. So I, I want to ask, and please um, 
helped me to keep learning. That's the number one reason I wanted to do this podcast. I really like Leon, but my number one reason was because I wanted to continue learning. I want to use my Karen powers for good as the middle-aged white woman that I am, right? Um, I, I think that in order to move the needle, there has to be intentionality, right? So is it wrong to to intentionally seek untapped talent of color, right? I know that legally there's a lot of things that we, we can't say it, we can't announce that that's what we're doing. But if you're not intentional about making change, then no help change me is made. explore that. If you so, so no, it's not wrong. And, and, and I think that it is the honorable thing to do. And I'm gonna tell you why I believe that and the way I see it. <clears throat> It is not wrong because when my kids win, everybody wins. I look at it like this. When you recruit untapped talent and you allow them to tap into their full potential and you allow them to promote and become productive citizens of society and you allow them to be gainfully employed and develop confidence and have a sense of pride, you change communities. And so then that narrative about people not wanting to work and this narrative about underserved communities, the best way to change them is to allow them to tap into who they are and explore opportunities that other people are able to explore. So in other words, I have kids that are graduating in December who parents have jobs and are barely making it. These kids are not gonna graduate and be gainfully employed and have their own health care be able to buy a house. And so what you're doing as a byproduct is you are now removing people from impoverished and compromised situations. So then for all of the folks who say, well, I don't believe in giving, giving, I believe in coming up by your bootstraps. Okay, well, let's let it happen. And then the other part that I say is, let's say this, <clears throat> when we have friends and colleagues and family members that we say, you know what? I have this friend I've been friends with for 20 years. We play golf together, we vacation together, and his son needs a job. Is that not a form of affirmative action? How is that different? How is that not intentional? Because what that kid has done, they've gone to the front of the line because they know you, you know their dad. And so to me, let's not be hypocrites about it. So I think you open a can of worms. So I think what happens is it forces people to acknowledge something they're not comfortable with. Because if you're comfortable hiring a friend of a friend and giving them an opportunity, why are you not comfortable saying, you know what, let's put some diversity in the room and let's give this kid a chance because this kid may have something and bring something and let's give them, you know, let's, 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 you know, kind of mentor them and bring them along, but we're willing to do it for other people and other populations or people that we know. So it forces people out of their comfort zone, which is okay, because to me, that's where someone like me come in. So then you call me and say, Burkita, you know, I may not be all in, or I may not understand it, but I know the hard work that's happening, you know, at, Virginia State. I know the hard work that's happening in certain organizations. Let's find a student that checks the boxes because I'm never asking anyone to not check the boxes because by nature, I'm a competitive person. So I'm not one to be like, give me a pass. No, I'm going to show you. So my thing is 
But we have to be able to do that because otherwise we lose. Because when you continue to not give people a chance and you continue to keep certain populations oppressed and suppressed, you're going to continue to have generations and generations of poverty and people who feel hopeless and are not able to contribute. So my thing is for the money folks, if nothing else, say, hey, you know what, if they're working, they can pay some taxes or they can buy this and they can buy that. So no, you must absolutely be intentional. I think we just have to maybe change the conversation, kind of like Leon said, you know, we may have to do it in a kind of secretive manner and not say, oh, this is what we're doing. And um, I think, you know, but, but you do have to be intentional, but maybe we just have to kind of maybe not make, enough, make as much noise and be like, rah, rah, this is what we're doing. And just, you know, slowly do it. It's, it's unfortunate that we have to, I'm not opposed to how change happens as long as it's positive change. I, I'm not one that says, well, it must be done like this. You know, if someone says to me, well, I'm really more comfortable doing it like this. My friends are more comfortable doing it like this. My organization is more comfortable doing it like this. I don't really have a problem with that as long as they're open to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, in that same thinking, so I had a young lady <clears throat> tell me, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a young lady of color specifically tell me, well, uh, I have this opportunity and um, my mom told me to use her name, but I don't want to do that. I want to get it on my own. And I was like, stop right there. You have got to take every advantage, take every advantage because the people that are at the top took every advantage and that's why they're still there so well to me culture to me that's a culture thing and i'm gonna say i don't i cannot speak for all communities of culture but what i will say to me that is a culture thing maybe in some instances with black people because i've heard people say that and i would look at them and i'll say are you crazy <laughs> like really no because but i think i think i think one of the reasons that it's like that is because although that particular individual may have experienced it, it's not so common that people are comfortable with it. And so I think what happens is they're not necessarily aware <clears throat> that this is happening everywhere else in other families and other organizations. And I think that that too speaks to when you're just beginning to be invited into certain rooms and you did not realize that these invitations have been going on and on. And I think for me, it's a little different because I grew up in a small town. I grew up in a very small town and my mother was a school teacher. And so at, at minimum, I knew all of the school teachers, all of the principals because they knew my mom. And then because of my dad's position in the community. So I was aware of this. And I also attended a historically black college where I knew a lot of folks before I got there. So I was aware of, you know, this type of networking and this type of thing. So what I tried to do is get my students to be comfortable with it. And you do tap into those relationships because everyone else is doing it. And not only do you tap into it, to me, you're obligated to tap into it. As the saying goes, when you take the elevator up, you send it back down or you bring it back down to bring someone else up. So there's a sense of obligation to get into these settings so that you can bring other people. So I think that it's very good that you told her that. Thank you for doing that. 
Of course, absolutely. <laughs> and don't call yourself a Karen. You're not a Karen. Or you're not a Karen. I, I, was I gonna, I'm not. I was going to say something about that. I, using I the get Karen what you're saying, power. but no, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. At least <laughs> value. Like, no, just no. Just say you know. You 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 may have some rights and things. You may have some. No, just. No, no, no. Not happening. Not. Where's where's the no buzzer? No, not happening. Exactly. exactly. Not happening. So. Oh, I want to talk talk about two things real quick. You talked about that, uh, Miranda. You brought up the the idea of the the student not wanting to drop the mom's name, right? Now, my mother was an educator, elementary school educator, and when she moved from North Carolina, she knew and it had had gone to high school with someone who was in administration in the county that my mom wanted employment in. My dad said, do not contact him to let him know you're looking for a job. And here's why. Because we don't want him going around telling everybody that he got you the job. So do not tell him that you're even looking. Don't tell him anything about it. That was the mentality. Now, that was 60 years ago. Yeah, but that was I, a the mentality, like, right? I don't want people to think they, that I owe them something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that. So that's that's one part. Now, let's go to what do we need to do to get more students, period, mm -hmm. interested in careers in the hotel industry, the lodging industry, hotels, restaurants, whatever it is. Um, on a previous show, I I talked about that when the high school that I went to had a career day and they asked for graduates to come back to talk about their careers and industries that they worked in, when I said I work in the hotel business, they said, oh, well, we don't want you to show up because all you're going to do in a hotel is check them in, check them out and clean, right? You're going to smile. You're going to fix. You're going to clean. That's it. There's nothing else for you to do. And I'm like, no, no, no. You guys don't get it. I had to go to the school to meet with the principal and the career counselor to explain it to them. And at the time I worked for Choice Hotels, I brought the career counselor down to Choice to say, look at all these career paths that are available in the hotel industry. This guy, I mean, at that point, he didn't know. What's it take to get more students interested and to get more of those that are working in, in positions in high schools even interested to know what's available in our in our business? So so to me, I think that I think that the industry created this problem and I'm going to tell you why. The first thing industry people say when they come to recruit is. I even was recently working with some professionals in a setting to help develop curriculum. And one of the persons in the room said, well, you don't need a college degree to work in the hospitality industry. And we're developing a curriculum. And I said, please stop saying that. <clears throat> I said, because what happens is people believe that and you get into entry level or you get into supervisors or that first level of management, in particular people who look like me, and you cannot promote <clears throat> and you become frustrated and it becomes a job and not a career. 
And the reason I say I think industry creative is because industry love to say all this stuff like, you know, the hard knocks and you work your way. I started as a dishwasher. Okay, nobody wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that and no one wants to do that. And this day and time, no one is going to do that and they cannot afford to do that because people need positions and money that reflects positions. And so parents are hesitant. But to answer your question, we have to change the narrative. We have to start when they're very young and we have to say, no, that is a part of the industry, but that's not what you are going to do. That is an inch. And I always tell students, I say, why would you go work at Walmart and not go work for the Hilton and do and check people in? Because at Walmart, you're just ringing up stuff, you know, and, and I'm like, what are you doing? But we, us, we have to let them see us. We have to let them see what we're doing and we have to educate people. Now, what I find very interesting about the hospitality industry, the lodging industry, people who've never worked in it think they know more than we do. And we have to educate them and they think they know more than we do because they travel and someone only checks them in. And then, so I remind people, I say, if you look at Fortune 500 companies, you look at Fortune 100 companies, who do you think are running these companies? It's not the person in the lobby that's cleaning, but that person is invaluable because no one is gonna stay there if it's not clean. And it only happens for some reason to hospitality. Because if you look at healthcare, you see a million people before you see a doctor, the person checking you in, the person making your appointment. Those are entry level jobs. Those are not careers. But for some reason, because it's at a hospital and they talk mm -hmm. to a doctor during the course of their day. So we have a serious image issue. And the reason I think industry created it, because it's somewhat shifted on the food and culinary side, because you have the food network and you have all of these fabulous chefs that are promoting their craft and they're doing wonderful things. So whereas 10 years ago, 15 years ago, no one wanted to be a chef or no one even knew what it was. I had to correct the IT guy the other day because he said something about my chefs who are cooks. I say they're not cooks, they're chefs. First of all, they went to culinary school and these are educated women and you're not coming in here calling them cooks. There's nothing wrong with being, I say they cook, but they're not cooks. And so I think that even event planning, that's glamorous because I think Jennifer Lopez is moving, even though it's a rom-com. But anyway, I think that we have to find a way to market it. We have a marketing problem and it's us because the industry does it. And for people to kind of take privilege to try and define who we are is unfortunate. And in some ways we've let them do it because they do think, I have students that won't major in hospitality because we're not in a business school and they want a business degree. And then they graduate and go work in the hospitality industry. So it's like, I don't know what the answer is other than we have to start planting the seeds and educating at a very, very young level. And I even look at my family, like it's very normal in my family now because my sister and her husband have a business and my brother-in-law is a chef. And so it's very normal for them to see him, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a chef, you know, doing events. It's very normal for them to understand what I do through the lens of hospitality. And so we have to figure out a way to educate people, you know, whatever that looks like. And that may be another paper, that may be another podcast, but we have to catch them early because they know very young, I want to be a police officer, I want to be a fireman, I want to be an attorney, a lawyer. They know that in kindergarten and first grade. So we have to get in those classrooms 
and say, hey, I want to run hotels. Hey, I want to, you know, do whatever it is in the industry that we want them to become more aware about it. But I think we can definitely take notes from our colleagues, you know, and because the Food Network to me has been a game changer. It is absolute. So we maybe need a hotel, reality hotel show, but a positive one, not one where we're acting crazy and fighting. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hope yeah. that answers your question. Right on. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go to our signature questions of the show. Okay. Let's go to Miranda for one more question. That's not a signature question. And then we'll okay. start the signatures. So um, I agree with everything you said about our image. Maybe we need JLo to just make a hotel rom-com, you know? Um, yeah, because the one hotel show she did her movie you know, she was in housekeeping and she was a fraud. So not that one. Made in Manhattan. <laughs> yep. Um, Which I love, by the way. I love that. Because I, I love seeing all the back of house stuff. Know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what would you say to industry in terms of how they can promote? We know, I know what we can do as educators, mm -hmm. and I agree with everything you said. How do you think the industry could better promote itself to be attractive? Because even now, um, after the pandemic and the massive layoffs and the uh, great resignation, et cetera, what do you think industry decision makers could do to make the hotel industry more attractive, to make it sexy like the Food Network did for uh, food and beverage? I think the industry has to stop being so arrogant. And the reason that I say that is the first thing that they want to say when they recruit is you have to start at the bottom. I think that they have to stop coming in with the negative energy and the negative com comments and telling people what they can't do and tell them what they can do. And I also think they have to let go of some things. For example, I learned to type on a typewriter. Why would I insist that my students learn to type on a typewriter when we have computers and smartphones? So just because you had to start out washing dishes and driving vans, it doesn't mean that everybody else needs to do that. Because there's something called Amazon and DoorDash that people will go work for before they do that. And I think if they're not open to change and they're not dealing with reality, which is why you need the diversity in the room, because they need someone like me to tell them they're not doing this. Get over it. They're just not going to do it. And if you insist, you're not going to have good people and you're not going to have diversity of thoughts and ideas and talents. And so I think the way industry recruits, I think they have to be realistic about what they pay people because none of these companies are suffering. If you look at the profits that they're making, it is insane. Just the amount of money that they make from charging us for bags on the airline and give them something where they can have a sense of pride and they can go to work and they can take care of them families. And not only that, that they can enjoy the industry in which they're in. You shouldn't have managers who cannot afford to travel. And I'm not talking about just with the discount. So I think you have to stop saying to people, well, you have to pay your dues. They have paid their dues sitting in a classroom. They paid their dues with internship. They played their dues working summers, you know, at Disney and King's Dominion. And I, I hope you're not sponsored by anyone and I can't say things like that. But I think they have to look differently at what paying your dues means. I remember when I was recruited, my first management and training job, I was in Chicago. And this lady said, 
it was five of us. I was the only female. I was the only person of color. And this lady said to us, well, you guys have it made. You've been sitting in a classroom for four years doing nothing and I've been working. <laughs> yes, she literally said it out loud. And so I think it's that mindset in the hotel industry, because I was working at a hotel, is why the hotel lodging industry and newsflash Airbnb, if you don't deal with the reality that people have options, you're not going to continue to do well because at some point people are going to take make other choices. And I think if you bring back these management training programs where you're investing in people, where you're properly training them and you're not just throwing them out there and they're equipped and they have the confidence and the skills and you're giving them competitive salaries, I think if you do things like that, you will see changes because unfortunately what I through, see through my lens is in some ways the lodging industry continues to be lower in pay and so students are choosing other options because they're looking at the pay and the benefits because no one wants to move to the middle of nowhere and you're not saying I'm going to train you for six months I'm going to train you for three months and I'm going to give you this so that you will become part of our team long term it's not going to change. The recruitment efforts have got to change. And, and, and you know, and stop going to where you're comfortable. You know, I went to, you know, this large school in the Midwest or in the Northeast because I know that I can get students there. I know the professors there. I know the people there. My friends graduated from there. Whereas if you're willing to I want to quote a scripture, if you will allow me, cast your net on the other side of the boat type thing. You know, it's like, look somewhere else and stop doing the comfortable recruiting and be creative. And they can ask us, like they show up and they want our kids, but they don't consult us. And it's like, okay, you got this. And then in six months when they're gone, they want to call me then. It's like, okay, well, listen to them. And I'm not saying that. You have to give them everything. I understand it's a business. I get all that. But I do think it's time to listen. Because one of the things that annoyed me so much during COVID was when they kept saying people aren't working. All of my students were working. But you know what? They were working for Amazon. They were doing DoorDash. They were doing um, all those types of things because they could make more money and they and their schedules were flexible. You know, one of the things is give people five days off in a row. Give people five days. Bring in some retirees or people who want to work part time to cover every Wednesday and Thursday so that, you know, I can give this person off every Wednesday and Thursday and stop saying, well, no, you know, you, you have to work 12 days straight because the reality is people are just not going to do it anymore. And if we really want to be honest, that wasn't healthy for us. I remember when I worked in the hotel industry. I remember I worked 12 days straight and I was on nights and I had technically like not even a real day off because I got out that morning and then like the following day, they brought me back like at three o'clock. You can't keep doing people like that. And that's what people hear. And that's what these kids tell each other when they go work. They tell each other that. And so then it's like, well, no, I don't want to go do that, you know, um, so I think that's what it is. I think we have to have real conversations about how we can be, you know, an environment that gives people work-life balance, give them reasonable 
and look at paths, say to them, if you come here, almost like the military approach, you know, if you come here and you work this long and you do this and you perform at a certain level, you have an opportunity within six months, within nine months to be here instead of saying, well, you have to start off at the bottom and you have to pay your dues. It's just, it, I mean, it isn't working and turnovers at an all time high. And let's just be honest, even when you go in some of these places, it's warm bodies. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've done the, what I used to call the mirror test in hiring. Yeah. Yeah. Are they put breathing? A mirror, put a mirror under the nose. If it fogs, you're in. Start my, my, tomorrow, my, seven o'clock. I have a former dean calls it the feather test. He said they put it. You know, and, and unfortunately, it's across the board. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's a hotel down here or up here. Right. You know, I, it, it doesn't matter. And they're complaining and it's like, and then I have to remind them sometimes, yeah, but you pick these people. That's right. That's so right. at some you point, you have them. to be honest with yourself. Like, well, you yeah. pick these people. You are right. the one picking them. So you may need to yeah. go somewhere else to pick or That's do right. some focus groups. Do something. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dr. Bradford, can you make a signature, please? Go ahead and give me a signature okay, on okay. camera. Get it up high. Yeah, signature up high. There we go. Okay. It is now camera? time. Is. Now time for our two signature questions okay. of the show. The first signature question is, have you ever had a Maryland crab cake? I have. And news flash, they come the crabs come from Louisiana. Oh well, I see. I I knew I knew that Louisiana thing from the beginning of the show was gonna come in here. I knew it. I didn't know how, but you did it. You did it. No, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I was in Maryland about a month ago. My sister was there for business. We went out to have crabs, and she asked where do the crabs come from? And they said Louisiana. So it's a Maryland <laughs> slash Louisiana crab cake. It's a Maryland <laughs> slash Louisiana. Now, the place that my wife and I go to get our steam crabs, they tell us they get theirs from North Carolina. And that's, oh. that's, that's yeah. the blue crabs, I'm sure. Yeah. I am now, sure. It's and, like the crawfish, yeah. you know, hey. Right. You know, look at that carbon carbon print. All right. Mm -hmm. And and here's the thing. I've I haven't been to a restaurant in and I live in Maryland. Okay. I haven't been to a restaurant in Maryland that said they got their crabs from Maryland. It's been <laughs> Louisiana or North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, maybe right. it's like, you know, when you get married and you opt to take on his name, maybe once it crosses the line, you know, they, they do something. <laughs> so, so you were in Maryland and had a crab cake. Yeah, good. Okay. But it was a Louisiana, made with Louisiana crab. Yes, I've had, I've had a lot of uh, Maryland crab cakes in, okay. in particular. Um, Legal seafood used to be my go-to. Legal go -to. seafood, Legal yeah, seafood. yeah. Yes, okay. yes. All right, on. and I, when you made that Louisiana reference, you should see the the pride that came on Miranda's <laughs> face right there when you. Oh, no, we, we, you know, yes. I had someone tell me once. They said, "Why do people? Why are people from Louisiana so proud?" I don't understand. I said, "Because you're not from there." <laughs> I love it. I love right it. on. Yeah. Time for our second signature okay. question. Yes. Mine is 
a little bit more intense. Okay. Um, but if you could go back in time, what advice, what one piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? If I could go back in time, the advice that I would give my 20-year-old self is that I would have been um, in Air Force ROTC <clears throat> and I would have gone into the Air Force and been a JAG officer and worked and taught in hospitality after a career in the Air Force. Why is that? Tell me more about that. <laughs> so when I finished with my master's, I went to meet with an Air Force recruiter and I was going to go in the Air Force and I was going to go to law school and I was going to be a JAG officer. But I kind of had this love for higher ed and I had this love for hospitality. I did not really fully understand at the time that I could have potentially still taught. I've taken the LSAT and everything. And so I was going to go in the Air Force um, for like the benefits and things like that. And uh, but I was only willing to go in as an officer. I wasn't willing to enlist just because of my own personal whatever. And to this day, I don't know why I didn't do it because I went to Shreveport. I drove to Shreveport and I met with the recruiter and he was like, oh, yeah, we'll sign you up and da, 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 da. And interestingly enough, when I fast forward years later, when I came to Virginia State, I was working very closely with um, someone in ROTC here. And we were going to Fort Lee, which is now Fort Greg Adams, because we have a satellite program over there. And he said to me, he said, Burkita, you would have been a really good officer in the military. And I laughed. I said, really? I said, why do you say that? Because I'm bossy. <laughs> he said, no. <laughs> and he said, you, it's just something. And I said, fun fact. I was this close to joining the Air Force and didn't do it. And I don't live a life of regret, but if I would go back, I would have definitely joined the Air Force ROTC. And I would be retired now and you would be talking to me as a retiree. <laughs> and we would be thanking you for your service. Yes, yes. But yes, I will yes. still thank you for your service on this <laughs> podcast because you have given us so many pearls of wisdom. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you. It's I have really enjoyed this. This has been yes. fun. <laughs> Thank you. And it's interesting you say the Air Force. I had an appointment to the Air Force Academy. See? And turned it down. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. The, and, and you know, yeah. you know, when we were planting these seeds, um, and in particular, I do talk to my students about ROTC when I come to them, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because I think it creates a sense of purpose. I think it creates you know what you're going to do. And because we still get a lot of first generation kids at Virginia State. And because of that, a lot of them leave with a lot of debt. Mm -hmm. And so my thing is, let's talk about some sweat equity instead of just signing your name on a student loan. And I was like, you know, when, when you graduate and things happen, you immediately are in a better position to buy a home and own a home. And so those are the types of conversations that I like to try and have with my students is, you know, let's not do quick temporary fixes because, you know, let's put some sweat equity into this thing. And then when you graduate, you owe no one and you have a career path mm -hmm. and you have because all of those are the things that move people to the next level in incomes, yes. you know, you know, not having a lot of debt, buying a home and all those types of things. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I talked to my students about the art because we have ROTC at Virginia State. Yeah. So and, and we know that a lot of people do things that are hospitality related. We have hotels, HG, that position themselves 
with the army. And so, um, you know, I just try and expose them to as much as I can. Right on. Yeah. Well, so, it's been, yeah, it's been great having you. Having yeah. you thank you. On our this show. has been thank fun. You. Thank you guys so much and keep thank it up. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Folks, thanks for watching another episode of Checking In at Lodging DEI Chat. I'm Leon Thomas with co host Dr. Miranda Kitterlin Lynch. And our guest today has been Dr. Burkita Bradford from Virginia State University. Thanks for watching. Checking in a lodging DEI chat.